here's the big part we need to think through, okay? We think about moral choices, we think about natural evil. I've all just, I've just said God imposed it and God has allowed it. God imposed the penalty as a response to sinful decisions and those sinful decisions bring suffering and all of those things are allowed by God and I think, well, how do we deal with that? Well, one thing we do in modern apologetics, I say modern, not in a good sense, but the average person today would try to sidestep God's sovereignty. God is not responsible. God would not do that. So I would say this, be careful, compass apologist, to never compromise on God's sovereignty. And by that I mean his oversight of all things, him working everything out after the counsel of his will. And again, I'm not trying to talk about my books tonight, but I wrote an entire book on that that you need to go buy five copies of. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Lifelines for Tough Times. That was a theodicy for the average person, which when my daughter was diagnosed... 17 years ago with spina bifida and hydrocephalus prenatally as a pastor, and people would say, why would God allow that, right? Why would that happen? Well, the first thing most people said is God didn't do that, right? And so I wanna make sure in my mind, if I believe in God's sovereignty because the Bible teaches God's sovereignty, I never wanna compromise on God's sovereignty. God did do that. Oh, well, God doesn't do bad things. Okay. So we need to think that through, first by affirming God's sovereignty and the extent to which it goes in the Bible. So let's look at a few things here. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city? Why would they do that? They do that as a way of alarm. It's like in school when the bell goes off, the fire drill. Is the trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Well, they're afraid because the armies are coming. And then he steps back and says, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And that's a rhetorical question. In Amos' day, this is a prophet to the north, the northern tribes, the Assyrians were the threat. When the Assyrians come and you blow the trumpet in the city, everyone's going to be afraid. And then you say, wow, why is this happening? You can point to a lot of things in the northern tribes of Israel in the 8th century BC. But you're going to say eventually, it's part of God's plan. God has done it. The Bible has no problem assigning God with the responsibility and oversight of what happens in his universe. And we need to not be afraid of that either. If you're afraid of that or you sidestep that, you've employed an unbiblical apologetic. You cannot say that. You cannot say, as because we went public with this early on before my daughter was born, you know, I had all these people trying to tell me, this is, you know, I don't know, God was busy when my kid was being formed in the womb and messed up because he didn't, he wasn't watching it closely. I mean, I'm just being facetious the way I'm saying it, but they say that was a mistake, a mistake in the sense that God had nothing to do with that. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 and 38. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Now, speaking about the prophets like Amos in the northern tribes or Jeremiah in the southern tribes who writes Lamentations, if the prophet comes in and says the Assyrians are going to destroy the nation or the Babylonians are going to destroy Judah, who says that thing and it happens unless the Lord has done it? He's commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? When I have a healthy baby, I praise God for it. When I have a baby with a congenital birth defect that's life-threatening, the Bible says, I don't then say God had nothing to do with that. See, I have to recognize there's a connection between all things in the universe and God's oversight. Now, God is going to step back from a lot of things, and we can talk about this. When he talks about the fact that he is not the, for instance, the tempter, there is a tempter, but he's not tempting you with evil. Lord doesn't tempt anyone. He can't be tempted and he doesn't tempt. 
But the reality is you cannot say, I'm being tempted, God has nothing to do with that. If it weren't for God who could stop it, now I'm starting to address the issue of God's power. Of course he could stop it, and if he doesn't stop it, then who's ultimately responsible? The ultimate responsibility, and we're afraid of saying God is responsible for his creation, we're saying God is responsible because if God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't happen. We can't compromise on God's sovereignty. And because it's so important, I want to continue on with what the scripture says. For instance, we praise him as the morning stars did, as it says the angels did in the book of Job. When the world was created, the heavens were existed long ago. They were created out of nothing. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That's how the creation starts, moving upon the face of the earth, the, or the face of the water, the spirit moved and created all this stuff. And by means of these, right, the world, water and the word, the world that then existed was deluged, flooded with water and perished. I mean, it's just a good place to start. God creates, that's a good thing he does that. And then by that word, by means of water, not only did he create the world, now he destroys the world. Who destroyed the world? God did. I know, as I often say, we put that as a nice, cute wallpaper in our baby's nurseries, but that was a bad scene. God was destroying the world. And if you want to add some words to the wallpaper in your kid's nursery with the Noah's Ark, you can say, this is when God destroyed everyone on the planet, except for eight people, right? But the Bible's very clear. The word, God's word, God speaks a word and it happens. Again, he didn't speak, he didn't have a mouth, didn't have teeth, didn't have a tongue. But he purposes in his will to do something and he does it. Now, you can look at it and say, well, they deserved it. Well, I'm just trying to start with, he did it. He did it. He did it by means, in this case, of a flood, by water, but he did it. 2 Kings 17.25. Let's just get very specific. We talk about mass destruction of the world, which, by the way, he promises to do again. That's where 2 Peter 3 goes. He's going to destroy it again, this time with fire, not with water. 2 Kings 17.25 says, they did not fear the Lord. And again, you can be looking again at the justice of all this. We'll talk about that later, but... Because of that, here's an example given the reason for it, God's perspective. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. When your husband gets eaten by a lion in the road, at least in this case, you can know why it was. He didn't fear the Lord, or at least the society didn't fear the Lord, and it was a spillover. We'll talk about that. But the reality is, the Lord sent the lions. The Lord sent the lions, and the Lord had them eat those people. Well, if the Lord didn't want lions to eat people, we know Daniel was protected in the lions then, we know he can shut their mouths because it says the Lord shut their, shut their mouths. So we understand this, the open mouth that killed the people in Israel in 2 Kings 17, we understand is sent by God. And you can blame God for that. What does that mean? He's ultimately responsible. He's only one who, as we say, allows these things to happen. In his plan, we can say it was designed. So we're conceding something here. I think the non-Christian is going to be surprised that we're conceding. And that is that God is sovereign. And the modern apologist wants to say, no, he's not. He had nothing to do with that. Psalm 105.16. Think about people in a famine. That's horrible. Think about the pain involved in that. Pain, it's suffering, it's evil. Psalm 105.16, he summoned a famine. God called a famine on the land and it broke all the supply of bread. And when I don't have bread, I'm hungry. And when I'm hungry, my stomach hurts. And then I eventually have malnutrition and I die if I am in a famine long enough. And the Bible's clear. That slow death, a little different than the drowning death of Genesis chapter six through nine, but we realize God is the God who summoned it. He called it. Does disaster come to a city if the Lord did not call it, do it? 
decree it, plan it. John 9. Look at how the theology of the apostles is better than your theology, even though you and I think our theology is better than theirs because our answer would be different than theirs. John chapter 9 is the story of the blind man. It starts this way. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now think that through. We see passages like, they didn't fear the Lord, lions came and ate him. The Lord sent lions. We recognize there's a correlation between their sin and God is just, and they died of lions. And they're going to say, this kid is blind. That's a bad thing. The world's not designed for blind people. The world is designed for seeing people. And so this is falling short of your plan. This is, an, this is something that ought not be. The ought to ought to be that you ought to be seeing. You don't see, therefore you're falling short of that. That was not the choice for the kid to be born blind. So they're assuming something that we don't even assume today. God did that. They're assuming that. And they're saying, the weird thing is, too young to earn it himself. So was it God looking through the corridor of time and saying, I'm making this guy blind because I know what kind of guy he's going to be and he deserves to be blind? Or maybe he did some kind of weird prenatal sin. So I don't know, why was he born blind? And then the second thing was, maybe it's a spillover and it's not him, it's his parents, and his parents did something, made God mad, God is responding. Either way, both scenarios, God did it. Now, you know the story, and we always rush to this, and that is, hey, Jesus said, not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Therefore, he doesn't deny that God did it. He says God did do it. God made this child blind, but he did it for a different reason than you think, and it's not because of the sin of the parents or the sin of the kid. That's something, I mean, transformational in some people's thinking. I have a child with congenital birth defects, and people say, well, God didn't do that. I write a book and say, God did it. I'm going to give you that. God did it. God did it. It's a God thing, just like in this passage. The question might be why God did it, and we can spend some chapters dealing with that. But let's not compromise on God's sovereignty over the evil in the world. And I guess I couldn't say it any more clearly than Exodus 4, and this is coming right from the mouth of God, Exodus 4.11. The Lord says to Moses when he's balking about talking because he's not a very good speaker, he says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is saying, I do that. If someone's mute and can't talk, someone's deaf, can't hear, someone sees or doesn't see, I'll, I'll take credit for that. I'll take credit for the fact that that is not outside the purview of my oversight. 